Welcome to the Healthcare IT Today CIO Podcast. I'm John Lin, the founder and chief editor at Healthcare IT Today, and I'm excited to bring you the most practical healthcare CIO insights and perspectives. We know your job is challenging and we want to help you be more successful. And our guest today is a longtime friend of mine uh, You know, on the conference circuit. I've seen him everywhere. Whenever I see that he has a session, I have to go listen. And so I'm excited to share him today on the CIO podcast. His name is Dr. C.T. Lin. He's CMIO at UC Health Colorado. Welcome, C.T. Thank you. Great to be here. I'm embarrassed to say I didn't have you sooner because you were on the top of my list. And I, I don't know why. I, we, I don't know. Schedules maybe didn't work out. But, uh, you know, excited to have you on the show because uh, you've been so influential to me in the, the work that you're doing. So uh, before we dive into some of that learnings and the, the experience you have, tell us a little bit about yourself and UC Health. Uh, I am a chief medical information officer for UC Health in Colorado. Um, been in this position, well, started here in 1995. I was chief complainer in 1997. <laughs> I finally was given a team to work with, and I now have, starting in 2011, and I've grown the team to 21 physician and APP informaticists. We wow. serve 12 hospitals, um, about, depending on how you count it, six to 700 clinics, about 4,000 physicians, about 20,000 nurses. Amazing. I love the transition from chief complainer to CMIO. I think that's how it worked in the early informatics days, right? Oh, that's you right. have an interest in this? All right, we can have you do that. I'll, I'll tell you that the thing I complained about the most was uh, uh, our leadership had just bought us in 1995 a, a new, quote, EHR. It was 3M clinical workstation back then. Where they, they called it the lifetime data repository. And I think they lasted in the industry about seven years before the lifetime repository went away. <laughs> Um, and then uh, uh, on top of that, they uh, we were we had a system purchased called Statland. Some people may know uh, that this was a DOS-based way of accessing test results. And the and the advertisement from our leadership was it's such a usable system because the login is LAB and the password is LAB. I mean, how much more usable can you make it? Well, that's when I started complaining. <laughs> Wow. So, and at the end of that story. week, it was like, maybe you have a lot of thoughts about this. Maybe we should hire point one of your time to come to some committee meetings. And, wow. and the rest is interesting. History. Well, I mean, to be fair, DOS is very good as a user interface once you learn it. Right. <laughs> the keyboard is faster than clicking. It is. It's it just is. not it usable the good old days for of someone DOS, that's right? new. You should all go back to DOS. <laughs> Probably not. Well, you know, it's interesting you say this because to be frank, you, you were ahead of the curve on a lot of things. The, the first time I met you, ironically, in D.C. At, a, at an event, you were talking about sharing results with patients, which, you know, this was a decade ago, probably maybe more. And so talk to me about that, right? I mean, you were, and what I loved about what you did is you did the research of what, what actually happened once you shared <laughs> rather than, hey, we're just going to share on a whim, right? You did yeah. the research. So talk right. to us about where you're at today when it comes to sharing data with patients. And of course, you know, the information blocking rule, which required everyone to kind of share all that data. So uh, just 30 seconds on how we started. This was a re research we did in 2000 and 2001. So 20 wow. years ago, wow. we took one clinic, seven doctors, 100 of their patients, and randomized them to full access to all the progress notes, all the test results immediately, because we had no way of doing time delay. Who, who's ever heard of time delay? And then, <laughs> um, and then we surveyed the patients and the physicians at the end of the year. 
And despite the fact that three out of the seven doctors in the practice were in favor of sharing, the other four were like, this is a terrible idea. And in fact, one of them actually told me, you know, the only reason I'm going to participate in your study is because it looks like you're doing a rigorous analysis of the outcome. And at the end of the year, you're going to know exactly how bad an idea this is. And, <laughs> and anyway, so we published this randomized controlled, substantial improvement in patient education, satisfaction, uh, and no increased workload for clinicians and nurses. And I naively back in 2001, tried to get this spread throughout my whole organization and not realizing, which we'll come back to at the end of my the best career advice I was ever given, which was um, learning about the the book that run that, that explains academic medical center. So I'll leave that as a teaser for okay. the nice teaser. That's I what like launched that. my career back then. Oh, anyway. So to your bigger question about where we are, then we we move eventually. Uh, I give a talk called "My 16 Year Journey to Open Notes" because it did take me nine years to get to open test results across my health system. 2009, 2016 to all open notes throughout the organization, a number of years before the information blocking rule. And then once the information blocking rule hit, that's when we took away all the time delays and went to immediate release. Um, and so our, our most recent publication on this is a fetal demise paper that actually, if you Google this phrase, I don't think it should take you three days to tell me that my baby is dead. Um, that was a huge outcry. <laughs> and this was actually 2017 when um, we, uh, had released a fetal demise result to a patient on, it's always a Friday afternoon, and the entire weekend, it was a terrible outcome for this woman to try to figure out who to talk to about this result, because it wasn't a clinician to patient conversation. And the immediate response back before the information blocking rule was that the entire OB department was up in arms going, you know, CT Lynn is ruining healthcare, just like normal CT Lynn ruined health, healthcare on a regular basis. But this was another instance of CT Lynn ruining healthcare. And they required that we put a three day delay on all ultrasounds because you need to give the doctor time to, to talk to the patient. Um, and so I said, that's, thank you for your advice. I'm not going to take that as a decision. I'm going to go to the patient family centered council and talk about it. 30 members of that council debated for an hour about this same topic. And at the end, one of the women said, I don't think it should take you three days to tell me that my baby is dead. And with that quote, the entire room went silent and there's just, you, you can't reply to that. There's no reply yeah. to a statement like that. I took that statement back to the OB collaborative and I said, here's what your patient said. And they took a big breath and they're like, I think we should change our internal process then. Right. And so that's what happened with our process. So, I mean, these are the kinds of things that cultural shift is not straightforward. Just because you turn on an idea or you have this concept, high level concept of, you know, information transparency is a great idea. You got to do the hard work underneath it. And this is the type of work that we're doing now. Interesting. And, and what did the doctor say that said you were doing the rigorous study? How, how did he respond once you oh, started to the original, sharing? In 2001, at the end of the year, when we unblinded the results, try to match pre and post, that same doctor said, you know, your project makes me a better doctor because instead of letting the test results sit for a couple of days, I know the patient might already have seen it. So I'm going to send a message or give him a call today. Wow. That makes me a better doctor, right? Mm -hmm. Like, same guy, really? Seriously? So <laughs> people do change their minds over the course of time with exposure to these tools.
Yeah, I guess that's the beauty of humans versus LLMs. But um. <laughs> <laughs> the thing that we're doing now in terms of pushing the envelope with uh, with information sharing is um, we collaborated with Guy, with uh, Beth Israel and Vanderbilt and a number of their organizations doing something called Our Notes. So just beyond open notes where we share progress notes and test results, we are at this point um, asking patients three days prior to their appointment during the e-check-in process. Here's where we say, do the diagnoses look right to you? Do your med list look right to you? Any new things on your allergies? Is your insurance still correct? We now say, what's happened to you since your last visit? What three questions do you have for the doctor? We will put this in front of the doctor at the time of your visit. So you can spend your time crafting a careful history. And we put that in that to many patients who do a good job writing that, that's the entire HPI for the doc. We actually save the doc's time by saying, you don't have to transcribe what comes out of the patient's mouth. Here it is, write in your progress note. And then you can either edit it or leave it alone. And you just move on to the other parts of the note. And that's been very well received for us. Interesting. Well, and that leads me to another conversation that I think we had, uh, you know, at Chime, if I remember right, uh, shout out to our friends at Chime, uh, the CIO organization. But we, we, I remember we were sitting there having lunch and you talked about how that all these patient messages were overwhelming doctors' inboxes, in, in your case, Epic, your Epic inboxes. And, you know, and, and we've heard this, right? Like, you know, those in the community know that doctors and Epic inboxes become like, you know, us and email, right? <laughs> you, it's a love-hate relationship with, with that inbox. Uh, and, and we've seen an interesting trend with many organizations kind of starting to charge for those messages in, in order to compensate the doctors for the time that they're responding to the messages. It makes sense on the one hand. On the other hand, there's some, it's an interesting balance, right? Of patient-centered care and a huge conversation when is, that. right? Absolutely. Uh, what's been your experience with this and, and how is UC Health, you know, Colorado approaching, you know, this problem and opportunity? I don't it's know. Is problem it a problem and an opportunity? Absolutely agree. So uh, uh, similar to other organizations and perhaps even more acutely for us, we looked at our statistics. Incoming messages in 2020, just before the pandemic, we were receiving as an enterprise 53,000 messages a month. And then that ballooned during the pandemic later that year to 350, sorry, from 50,000 to 190,000. So a threefold, almost three and a half fold increase of incoming messages per month. And you would think, well, sure, the pandemic's over, that number should come down. No, the number has stayed at about 190,000 consistently ever since then. That is a flat and increasing line. It's not coming back down at all. So people have found, our patients have found a new way of communicating with us, which is both terrible and fantastic right? yeah well once engaging. you teach a dog a new trick they know it right right <laughs> that what the and, pandemic and so, did? so here's another reason ct lynn has ruined healthcare, which is all the pajama time dedicated to responding to between 10 and 40 messages a day per primary care doc that's not a small business right no. you do an eight hour 12 hour day at work and then you go home and there's a whole other workload waiting for you when you get home and and that's not sustainable so we we have been looking at ways of reducing the in-basket burden. Our goal, which uh, I, I put this way out there because we were thinking about how do we make it 5% better? How do we make it 7% better? And I think that's not anywhere close to what we need to be thinking about. We need to reduce the burden of in-basket, I said, by 90%, which A, gets everyone's attention, and B, get, generates a whole bunch of objections. That's not possible. And like, right, that's the kind of thinking, though, 
that we need to be aspiring to so that even when we fail and only get to 50%, that's way better than the 5% we were going for. And so that's our goal now is we are completely deconstructing the in-basket section by section and trying to get at it. One of the ways we're trying to get at it is not billing patients. I know that nationally, the number of organizations are doing so. We're going kind of a half step there, which is counting internal relative value units, RVU work effort. And we do have small pots of money we can move around to recognize clinicians for the additional work that they're doing. And we've constructed uh, our version of what Epic calls an e-visit, what we call message appointments internally, so that as you say, this is more than five minutes of work, or this is more than 10 minutes of work, or this is more than 20 minutes of work, you have three levels to internally bill and collect RVU credit for that. And we mm -hmm. will shuffle our resources to recognize that work. So that's our half step into this space. I think the long run, if we get to value-based care where all the care is prepaid and we have a lot more flexibility, that's I think what we're shooting for, but that's gonna be years coming, but that's the direction we're going for that piece. We've also done a bunch of other stuff elsewhere. For example, prescription renewals. We're trying to automate as much of that as possible and take it off the plate of the clinician. We've removed the password requirement for, uh, by calculation, 7 million non-controlled prescriptions that we write per year. Those password requirements are gone, right? Wow. Having reread re the regulation and so forth. And so every little piece that we can take something away, take another pebble out of the shoe, that, that's what we're trying to do. We're not anywhere close to where we need to be, but we've got five or six different avenues that we're, we're tackling the end basket for. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, uh, that was my other question about the inbound. What kind of messages are they? Are they visit messages? Are they refill messages? Are they, I, I'm someone who sent a message uh, to, to know about my medication because they'd prescribed two. And how do I? You know, the range is or incredible. Is it Some of it is very straightforward stuff like, hey, I hurt my ankle. What should I do with it? All the way up to, I read my CAT scan. It's hard to interpret. Is, it, is that cancer or is that something else? How should I think about that? Mm. Um, all the way to, you know, my my oxycodone is out or my Adderall. Uh, nobody in town has Adderall and I'm going to need it for my ADHD. How do how can you help me with it? It's, it's incredible spectrum of things. And which, by the way, we are working as we'll get to the AI piece of this. We are working with our Epic and Microsoft partners on a chatbot draft reply to in-basket messaging. It's very interesting. We're getting about 20 to 30% in our pilot clinics able to use the chatbot reply to help reduce the burden of re replying to that message. My favorite one so far yeah. was a patient saying, you helped me doctor so much, I'd like to buy you a turkey dinner. <laughs> um, and the, re the chatbot reply was, thank you so much for your kind words. However, uh, and, and your offer for a turkey dinner. However, the only gratitude we need is the the, the, the privilege of caring for you. <laughs> like, wow, that that's why I'm here. I mean, it's, it's, it's magical <laughs> stuff like that that comes out of nowhere. Like, that's that's kind of fun. Yeah, that's great. What a good story. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's interesting how it does it. Um, you know, you've you've worked on a lot of projects, a wide variety of projects. Uh, is there a project that you've worked on that's brought you maybe the most personal satisfaction, or or that feeling of success, or, you know, and talk to us about what made it successful. I love these big, broad questions where I can go anywhere I want. Um, you know, you, yeah, you well, and it's interesting because it's about personal success, not necessarily organizational too. I, and satisfaction. I, I, feel like, <laughs> I feel like I have two answers for that. One, one is um, open notes and the other is the large pig. So I'll, I'll sort of give you a little bit of both. Um, open notes is a journey. Like I said, I give a talk. It's my 16 year journey. It was a personal passion to say that information transparency should be a pillar of our of our healthcare um, enterprise. And 
to realize that in 2001, no one's talking about this. And I'm the lone voice in the wilderness and I'm getting shouted down by, you know, you know, I don't know where you went to med school, but the medical record's a dangerous place and patients have no business being in there all the way to it's now federal law. Like, wow, what a what a transformation the culture has made. And, you know, maybe I contributed a little bit to that. Who knows? But it's been kind of gratifying to see that that, that there's been a curve of improved transparency and but better patient engagement. I have several patients who say, you know, um, and maybe it's different now that the, the it's a federal rule, but in, in years past, they say the only place in town that is a portal that's useful to me is UC Health because I can see my notes and I can see all the test results and I, I own that and I can and I can take it to whoever I want and that sort of thing. So I, I felt a lot of gratitude that that journey's been at least having stepped in a whole bunch of potholes early on successful in the long run. Yeah. Um, the other part of this is, I think, the large pig, which which is what I very jokingly called my physician informatics and APP informatics group. Um, and uh, some of my members object to being called pigs. I'm sorry, <laughs> but that we, we have fun with our names is, uh -huh. is in the feeling that you have force multipliers in a group of systems thinking, design thinking informaticists who are not just clinicians, who are not just IT professionals, but are sitting down trying to solve really difficult problems together. That's been so joyous to see people have their own success moving forward from it. Interesting. So and the, the physician pig is a bunch of physician leaders that advise you on the IT projects and, and priorities or help us understand a bit more about. Yeah. So my informatics group. Uh, so I have 21 members. Uh, three of them are APPs and the rest are physicians. Okay. I have five primary care docs. I have two vascular surgeons, a rheumatologist, a pulmonary doc, an ID doc drawn from various regions within UC Health. We're 250 yeah. miles geographically. And so yeah. I do have representatives sprinkled throughout the organization. So I have people who are local who I can send in. My favorite story is early on in 2011, when uh, we had a flare up in our perioperative space, one of the surgeons said, you know, this thing doesn't work for me and don't send that primary care CT Lynn guy. You know, I don't know what primary care, what it was, Susie scraped her elbow. I, he doesn't know anything about real medicine. We're doctors, <laughs> we help people, you know, like, whoa, let's, let's send my surgery colleague. And my surgery colleague walks over and says, so I heard you have a problem with Epic and I canceled my first robot case to come over and help you. So what can I help you with? And the surgeon, the surgeon, like, oh, I'm sorry that you had to cancel. Okay, I'm, I'll, we'll figure it out. Gee. And so having people who are specialty specific, region specific, who can speak the language, mm. it's been so powerful for us to be able to really have cachet among our colleagues. Yeah, that makes sense. Is there a project that you've like wanted to work on, but maybe just haven't had time yet to get to it? Well, and I'll combine this uh, with the AI conversation I had before. That's that's the ballpark that we're playing in now is is really trying to expand our AI footprint, because I think um, th this is the Wild West right now. Some of it's terrible, like hallucinations and confabulations, and some of it's great. And we want to be part of that conversation. So we are dabbling a little bit. Uh, in in three AI areas. Uh, one is uh, this chatbot reply. Internally, we're calling it Pam Chat. Pam is patient advice messages. And then the chatbot reply is where we can use something to, to reply to the patient. So we have three clinics live on this and we're working on how to expand this to others. We even have our nurses using this to, to try to speed up their workflow as well. The second piece is ambient documentation. And we're talking to some vendors and thinking about getting into that space. Um, and uh, the third part is chart summarization. And so what we're thinking about is, you know, since you saw the patient last, 
you know, how can we bring you up to speed more quickly without having to read 45 progress notes and a whole bunch of test results? Can the thing, can, can, can the AI be helpful in that way without either omitting something important or making something up that wasn't there? And, uh, and these are hard, naughty problems that, that we'll be turning our attention to. Yeah. No, I think those are three really interesting uses of AI. Where, where else do you think it's headed? Where else do you see AI going? And I mean, I think large language models have unleashed the creative mind of <laughs> of what's possible, but where, where do you see it headed? I I um I have to say that uh, my crystal brawl is broken at the moment. I'm humble <laughs> enough to remember the days uh, where uh, everyone knows that a smartphone is uh, a device like a BlackBerry with a bunch of buttons on it. And then the next year, that's no longer the thing, right? So I, I think there are emerging properties of this AI that we're really not thinking of yet. And, the, and what's useful is probably not on what people's radar is right now. This is, you know, this is, if we're building a building, we're in the basement, you know, in the dark uh, with tiny flashlights going, ooh, look, look at this shiny thing I saw over here. And we have no idea what the first, second, third floor are going to be. So I'm sitting back and, and and seeing what my colleagues come up with. I like that. Uh, we, we don't know what we don't know, <laughs> but we're going to find out. That's, That's interesting. Right. Um, so we always like to end with a, a little bit of career advice uh, and you, you teased it earlier, but uh, what's the best piece of career advice you've been given? <laughs> One of my, my first mentor, uh, sat me down and said, uh, so I asked him when I was offered this 0.1 FTE at the beginning of my career as chief complainer, uh, should I take this job? He goes, you know, CT, you, you should go back and read the uh, read the operating manual for an academic medical center. There, there's an operating manual, I said. Wow, really? What's it called? And he says, it was written in the 13th century, Machiavelli's The Prince. And, and, uh, and I did, and it was incredibly helpful and not for the reason you think it is. It's not, you know, the, the backstabbing uh, reputation that Machiavelli has. It, it's on the way of thinking about governance and leadership. The quote that I love from him is, nothing is so difficult as change in a large organization because at best your proponents are lukewarm and your detractors have all the passion in the world. And they'll fight you tooth and nail. And if you realize that, you know what you're up against, even for mild changes. Nobody, like Mark Twain says, uh, the only person who likes change is a baby with a wet diaper. Yes, mm -hmm. absolutely. I, the, over every meeting I go to, that's exactly the same feeling I get. And so how do you prepare for that? And, uh, and this was a, a related leadership book that talks about, you know, if you're going into a big meeting for a big decision and you don't already know how everyone's going to vote, you've not done your job. You've got to go back and have these one-on-one -on -one conversations. For example, I don't know if you you uh, heard about our APSO note uh, initiative, where we inverted the SOAP note. The assessment and plan is on the on the top, okay. um, and we were able to make that the default setting throughout all of UC Health. Well, come to find, you know, what you don't know is this was like a five or six year journey for me to get that done. I did the research study, thinking this is the right thing to do, and people who do it go, this is better. But trying to get everyone else to change, they go. This is crazy. Everyone knows about soap note. No one knows about APSO note. Um, and what I had to do was go individual by individual to ask clinicians, the clinician leader for every department, hey, um, we're going to try to fix the, at the time, the emergency department notes were the hardest to read. Um, and I said, we're going to try to get them to write APSO notes to put the assessment plan at the top of their notes so you know exactly what's going on. They're like, yes, those notes are so terrible. You got to fix that. I said, yeah, for me to do that though, I have to ask you, your department, to go to APSO notes because I can't 
really apply that pressure without everyone else going to AppsoNote. Like, well, well, our notes are fine. I'm like, yeah, I know your notes are fine, but I need your help. <sighs> fine. You know, it's not a big deal for us to switch it, but if yeah. you can fix that, that's so worth it. And wow. I had the exact same conversation 40 times. <laughs> like everyone else's notes, crap. Our notes are fine. I, I know your notes are fine, but can I have your help? And that's what got us over the line to be able to get that's to AppsoNote. Anyway, so this is a funny story, about like, but these are the types of leadership lessons that I guess were written about in the 13th century. And therefore, that's my best piece of advice. Interesting. Well, there's something that doesn't change, and that's humans. <laughs> humans and organizations, they're kind of similar. Well, I, I, you know, I, I also want a bonus question because, uh, you know, you're, you're kind of famous in our community, especially the health IT community and healthcare IT today has published a few of these. Uh, you know, I want to hear about, you know, where did you learn to play the ukulele <laughs> and talk to us about its impact on your professional career? Because you've often written a bunch of parodies, if you will, or or songs about, uh, you know, uh, health IT with the ukulele that you've performed. Uh, so talk to us about that. I think people will be interested in merging of your hobby and your career. I um, I saw this ukulele when I was on vacation in Hawaii. And I'm going through all the closets like I always do. And I found this little, little there's a tiny guitar in here. Well, what is this tiny guitar thing? Never heard of a ukulele before. Uh -huh. Came with a three inch square manual and one finger on one string. Get you a C chord. And that's Michael Rowe, your boat ashore. I'm like, <laughs> I can play a song with one finger. And, <laughs> and so at the end of three or four nights of strumming with this thing, I, I had to have one. So this was in 2010. Uh, a year before our epic go live and okay. I'd sat down and started to learn it. And um, at the end of the year, when we actually went, it went live with epic, I took my introvert self cause I'm, I'm, I'm a deeply introverted person and intentionally took this to put myself at some discomfort and played this for our command center during go live. Wow. So with your permission, I'll, I'll, I'll play you. It, there's an updated version of this song, but it is originally called epic man. And, and now there's some, uh, updated lyrics for it. So awesome. I'd love a performance. That? Yep. She checked. Oh, I'm going to let's go back for a second. Yeah. Okay. Record uh, music original sound on. Cool. And I'll have them cut this. Uh, yeah. yeah. So that's perfect. So here we go. She checked my templates last night pre-flight. Zero hour, 8 a.m. And I'll be deep in my in-basket by then. I miss paper charts so much I miss my life. It's lonely in hyperspace on such a timeless flight. I think it's gonna be a long, long time before I make another ever again. I'm not the man they think I am at all. No, 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 I'm an epic man, epic man, writing open notes up here alone. Twelve pages ain't the kind of way to write your note. In fact, it is full of bloat 
And there's no one here can understand them if you did. And all in chat GPT I don't understand. It's just my job every day of the week. Epic man, epic man. And I think it's gonna be a long, long time before I make another ever again. I'm not the man they think I am at all. It's going to be a long, long time. Yeah. <laughs> hey, do you mind just turning off the sound again? <laughs> so I'll do the applause again, so we might have to do it. Yeah. Woo! Oh, CT, that was awesome. I love... Uh, I love hearing you do it. I love the the irony of uh, your words. You, you're a master of words. So <laughs> thanks. thanks a lot. What was the reaction in the command center when you started doing it? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, these folks had been fielding 7,000 complaints in the space of five days, right? Doctors going, where's my prescription pad? How come you took my pens away? I don't even remember my login password. So these guys had been beaten. They'd been working on this, designing this thing for 18 months, and all they get is crap from my colleagues. And uh, and so I played the song, and so I, I did have a standing ovation despite my terrible singing at the time. And my CIO walked over and put me on the back and he said, nice song, but don't give up your day job. <laughs> but enlightened the mood that was that's the right, key, that's right? right. it yeah. changed the perspective and exactly. reminded people of humanity i love it so yeah. ct uh you're a gem you're uh you know that what you share with the health it community uh means a lot and i think impacts uh far more than uh you uh gave yourself credit in this uh yeah I, I know a lot of people who look up to you and respect you and have learned from you so I appreciate you taking time to share it with us as well. I appreciate it, John. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks, CT. And thanks, everyone, for watching and listening. If you want to find more great healthcare IT content like this, be sure to check out the healthcareittoday.com and also search for the CIO podcast by Healthcare IT Today on your favorite podcast applications. Thanks, CT. Thank you.